0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Artificially Unintelligent Podcast with me, William, and my co-host, Nikolai. How's it going, Nico? I'm good. What about you? All good, all good. Today, we are talking about a weather paper, if you could call it like that. That's at least what the show notes says. <laughs> so oh. recently, Google DeepMind, um, formerly known as DeepMind, but they've always been under the Google umbrella. They came out with a Graphcast paper published in science and science as you know is a very renowned uh, journal that publishes only kind of the state of the art and the best of the best but it's really they had one summarized version of this paper and one longer one which we went through it's about 125 pages with the appendix there was a lot of interesting things to read there but it's really nice i find to read the science papers in general because they it's kind of like a, a short novel in a sense, they, they put in like, yeah, I don't know, some, some bit more romanticizing the stuff, but it's really cool. And the tool that they have developed is GraphCast, basically forecasting the weather as um, accurate as possible a couple of days in advance. So this is what we will be talking about. What are your thoughts on this? What are your immediate thoughts?
1: So my first thought when I was looking at the results they got, because they are pretty accurate, I think Apple weather should adopt it. This was my first thought, but it's actually, it's for me, the results are quite impressive, but also show the complexity of weather forecasting because they outperform most of the systems on their test set, but at the same time, only for 10 days. And after that, apparently the complexity explodes. So you see the complexity of weather and the different amounts Of variables and components which are impacting each other, that beyond a certain scope is just inaccurate.
0: But if you think about it, ten days is actually a third of a month. So if you can be quite accurate, you know, a third of the month ahead, there's a lot that can be done. You know, for example, preventive measures in terms of like if cyclones were to hit a certain area of the world, or maybe you have like a I don't know, a dry period coming up or something like where people actually have to prepare. Uh, but it, of course, has other consequences on economics and financials for logistic trade and whatever you have. So it's it's definitely Google DeepMind, they come up with these sort of things. So whenever they publish something, people should look into it, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and it's quite well-timed. Because a few weeks ago, there was like one, I'm not sure whether it was a monsoon or a hurricane or something. I know, I'm not sure as to what it was classified, but it hit America. And it was like, without any announcement or prior knowledge, it came, I think it was in Florida. And so the paper was quite well-timed and they have two entire sections on forecasting extreme weather events where they also have quite an impressive performance.
0: Yes. So as we said the paper is quite lengthy and we tried to split it up into sections that Nico reads and that I read and um, what can you say about the high level overview of this model itself maybe kind of the yeah the initial part of the paper. So
1: first of all I think they went with the current trend which is like autoregressive modeling that you're, which is pretty common in in forecasting, because when you're making a time series prediction, you have like different options. Either you have a model, which is doing a forecast for the next end steps. So I'm making a forecast for tomorrow and the day after that at the same time, but I could also do it auto regressively, like they did, where I'm forecasting the next day. And then I'm using that forecast as an input for the next one and forecasting the day after that. And that's what they did. And I think that's quite on trend at the moment. And also like the, they figured out a way to make it like more of in the direction of a encoder decoder architecture, which is also pretty on trend at the moment with the larger and larger models, which could allow them to scale the model up a little bit more efficiently than prior models.
0: And with regards to um, auto regressive models, one can kind of understand that when you try to predict too far into the future, let's say after 10 days, as you said, you're taking the predictions of the next step or the next day into account, into the model, when you try to predict, let's say, two days in advance or three days or 10 days or something like this, then eventually you have too much variance in the prediction. So when the actual real day is coming up, your prediction might at one point just start to diverge because there's too much baked into the model that is uncertain in some way or another.
1: Yeah. And if you look at it, the main difference, I think they they brought into the paper is the way they construct the graph. So basically you have a graph around the world for weather forecasting, which is typically the longitude and latitudes. And in the longitude and latitudes, you have certain areas and certain points, and they are typically used as the nodes and the edges of the graph. But they constructed an additional mesh above that and basically, this mesh allows them to have more points and different points beyond the longitude and latitude, latitude, which was apparently a restriction of the current systems. And that's what the encoder part is actually for. The encoder basically takes the information for the different longitudes and latitudes. This can be information like, for example, the, the temperature or like also the other important information like their humidity in the area and encodes it to for the different edges and nodes of the mesh. And they have quite a nice visualization for that, where basically it doesn't just take one area in the latitude and longitude, but it basically one mesh node takes in information from multiple different cross areas in the longitude and latitude mesh
0: yes so they they do state kind of what their loss function is here like some sort of mean squared error where every all of these sort of different parameters such as geospatial location is uh, baked into it but as you say there are many more variables that they take into account such as yeah basically for this prediction here and they they also have a lot of data, you should say, to the like they they go back even to nineteen seventy nine, I think. That's where the the train set kind of starts and it goes until yeah, late twenty tens, depending on what version of the model they are training. So they the first kind of initial state they train until data from 2015, and then they use a test set between 2016, 2017, and then they kind of create newer versions that take more of this recent data into account. And then they predict on, let's say 2021 or something like this, but It depends a bit what they are also trying to predict. So if it's, for example, cyclones or hurricanes or whatever you want to call it, they they don't occur that often. So they need to expand the test set to to make it span over a couple of years, so 2018 to 2021 or something like this, to be sure that they can predict this as accurately as possible. But the training set is still quite large. And they, they actually said something we wanted to include more data from like the 1950s up till 1979 when the train set actually starts. But I think some of the parameters and, you know, the data was not as wholesome as it was afterwards. So they just, they got very little use out of it. So they discarded.
1: Yeah. And they process basically this this information in its encoded form in the mesh network only, so basically on a higher level than the original network. And they have two steps. First of all, they recompute the edges and this is done with a GNN, so a graph neural network, I think explaining the math would be a little bit too complicated in like a verbal form, but check out the paper if you want to, and they are basically updating the nodes based on the information at different points at the different edges, and then they are updating the edges themselves. So for example, if there is a storm forming over the ocean, which is represented by some mesh nodes, which are in that area, the processor updates the nearby nodes first and then the edges, and then over the edges, there are like more longer dependencies. So basically even if a node is further away from the storm, the large edges between them can transmit some form of probabilities and information that there is a storm forming and how this might impact the weather at the other point at a certain point in the future.
0: Yes, exactly. And uh, let's see here. Yeah. And they, they also include some interesting software stack into this model, I thought. So did you have a look at it? The, it comes from Google DeepMind in the end of the day. So I thought maybe they baked in some TensorFlow to this, but it seems like JAX is the way to go. What they what they seem to be working with at this point. And maybe from what I know, from one of the projects that we run, it's really good for these sort of differential calculations that you need to do. And it's very fast compared to TensorFlow. So in such a in the global climate system where you need to take you know, multiple millions of parameters into account. Eventually, as the models maybe expand, then maybe JAX is a good framework to go with. I don't know. What do you think about this? I actually have never worked with JAX, so I can't say much about it, but I think it's
1: also part of the, the efficiency. They really set it up to to run quite efficient on a single GPU, so in inference. So the model should be quite applicable for regular people and also for yeah. research labs, which do not have as much resources as Google, which for me is a really nice approach.
0: Yeah. And the one thing that I wanted to point out is their comparison, of course, there are results section is really extensive and they include a lot of different sort of results over various time spans and looking at results per region results per whatever like many different sort of input variables but they only compare it with what i saw to be like one other kind of competitive machine learning framework that they find well, one or two i think but they're I mean, maybe this is my ignorance as well, but there don't seem to be that many good state-of-the-art models out there for weather forecasting. What do you think about this?
1: Yeah, I think in weather forecasting, most or the -the state-of-the-art models are mostly proprietary. So there's another company, I'm not sure it's a startup, I'm not sure about its name anymore, but they also have a pretty well model, but what I've seen, they are quite accurate for three to four days. Uh, And if you can trust the results that DeepMind got, uh, the accuracy for 10 days is quite impressive in comparison. But I think weather forecasting is a domain, it's quite resource intensive. So I'm not sure how much Research is actually in this domain because it costs so much and it's so hard to work with.
0: It's a very difficult problem when you start getting into the nitty gritty details because you need, you know, data input from various sort of first of all geographic locations that you need to take into account, and all of these. Different sort of databases need to include several different parameters that the model can uh, use to impute into or take into account, etc. So, I don't, I can imagine that it's, uh, of course, there are a lot of records from, yeah, as we said, 1979 and forward, but I, for these 10 day weather forecast prediction, then you want uh, as much data input as possible. But, what do you think? Why do you think people need a 10-day forecast rather than like three or four? Do What do you think are the maybe economic implications for this or just in general? I think like
1: for one, there are so many different industries which are dependent on the weather. Like for one, just the entire shipping and logistics industry, which always have to be on the lookout for it, but also like air travel, which always have to check and have to adapt their routes when there is a huge storm coming. And the longer window you have to plan stuff like that, the better. Because you can notify your customer in advance when there is like a huge storm coming. You can take alternative routes with your ships if you know that there might be some major storm in an area. And for me, the most interesting part isn't like the regular weather forecasting, but more the extreme weather forecasting like what they have for one is cyclones, atmospheric rivers, which is basically atmospheric rivers, the condensation, which is traveling between different parts of the world, which is like a river in the sky, basically. And also classifying extreme temperatures where they show a real, really good performance. And maybe one more note on the benchmarking against other data sets. They, I think, why they ignored it partly they split their training and test set into a development set which is data from 1979 until 2015 and they took the data from 2016 to 2017 i think for the validation so they rather tested on the actual data which was out of sample rather than comparing the performance in its truest sense which i think is the more practical approach because you can actually see how well it performs in practice
0: yeah definitely and also just adding to one of the industries that you mentioned agriculture is of course one of the yeah. big ones where you need to prepare in order to you know maintain your crops as well as you can and uh, this can this probably includes you know a combination out of agriculture and logistics like when you need to order something in order to prepare or maybe when you need to uh, be proactive and maintain some of the different crops or whatever you have at the at your farm or something like this, but yeah. So of course it has both societal and economic implications here, and it's really cool that you can do this very accurately in ten days in advance because it gives you kind of this room for you know proactive measures, basically. Yeah. And then what do you think, how do you think people will incorporate this into their apps and the sort of the, what do you think Google will use it for? Maybe other ones. Do you think there will be a push from other actors, let's say Apple to develop more state of the art models for this or other sort of, um, or other sort of sites?
1: I don't really think so. I think
0: people will pick
1: it up and compare it to their existing methods and try to integrate it into their system. If it's better, Otherwise, I don't think like Facebook or Apple is really interested that deeply into that domain because it's a tangent for them. And it's like fairly research heavy and especially on the, it's like off the current trends and I don't think Facebook will jump onto that. And especially like Apple is uh, was never really known for like being... A research company, but rather being an applied company of taking the best tools. And once they get it to work seamlessly onto their hardware, they will integrate it, but you won't really know what tools in the background. And I think they might test it out and look to integrate it into their apps, but you won't really know it.
0: So, looking at Google DeepMind as a part of a company or a company in itself, why do you think they are taking on these? challenges that it seemed to be very, first of all, natural science-based, such as the alpha fold, the protein structure, or like kind of modeling, and also this one, GraphCast, AlphaGo, what do you think is their idea of it all? What do you think they seek to um, accomplish? So first of all, I think it's a great advertisement for
1: existing researchers that you're like always building the state-of-the-art models in different domains. Secondly, I think they will use it in a bunch of their own devices and services. And also, it's they might look for more on the B2B side for customers, which might be interested in integrating this into their own system, like airlines and stuff like that. But because most companies won't have the capabilities that Google has, because for that you would need like data engineers, you need natural scientists who have a clue about the weather, like meteorologists. At the same time, you need to have the AI people. And I think integrating such a system isn't that easy and making the data usable that you get as a result. So that might be like also one tangent they are looking into.
0: And then I'm really excited for when they come out with their fusion reactor kind of AI helper or whatever you want to call it, when they are able to maintain fusion energy source uh, together with the CERN laboratory in Switzerland. That would be really cool to see. So, you know, let's let's see uh, when they announce that. Yeah, we will see. Okay, let's put a pin in it there. I think uh, this was a great episode. And uh, yeah, GraphCast, everyone, check it out. Read the summarized version or the full lengthy ones. And maybe let's see if one can go and play around with it. But uh, yeah, I hope that everyone enjoyed this. And we'll see you next time. See you soon, buddy.